But now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Rewired podcast. How do you have hope? And what do you hope in? Questions of hope often come up, especially during difficult times. Last episode, we started a three-part conversation on 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13 and what it means to have faith, hope, and love, especially during times of crisis. Today, we talk about the second element, hope. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. We're carrying our conversation on the Christian response to times of crisis, and Mm -hmm. we believe that this is what God calls us to do, to have faith, to have hope, and to live in love. And today, we're going to talk about hope. So yeah, um, what do you think people have hope in, Neil, during sure. times of crisis? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great question. I think just generally, not only in times of crisis, uh, which we'll get you in a moment, people, I think, place hope in things like uh, yeah. relationships, yeah. Um, our own abilities, maybe governments, yeah. um, authorities, uh, maybe even socio-political systems. Yeah. You know, people hope in capitalism or communism or socialism, <laughs> some sort of uh, a human engineering of the way that the world works. Yeah. You know, we place hope in those sort of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah but what, what do you think? What can you add to that, <laughs> to that list? You got any ideas? No, for sure. Um, I think the first thing that came to my mind is what do we mean when we say people have hope? Right. And I think people just kind of expect or are wishing that things will work out. That right. there's like this positive optimism, mm-hmm. wishful thinking that, oh, I hope the government does as well this time, or I hope True. that yeah. this finances work out on my advantage, sure. or I hope this relationship, right. there's, there's really no certainty. And I feel like we, in our language, we interchange that word wishing with hoping so much um, in, yeah. in that way so that's the first thing that came to my mind but honestly like I think you sum it all up relationships um, careers finances um, yeah. governments and social systems people usually put their hope in those right and also medical science maybe mm-hmm. yeah, that's technologies right. which, didn't think uh, about that I think at the moment this you know the crisis we're going through at the moment we do you know we do hope that there will be some medical breakthroughs that there will be yeah you know some kind of a cure yeah um, yeah, for the coronavirus. Just as you're saying that, it made me think like, wow, I didn't think about it even in practical levels. There's people that actually hope for such, like, honestly, such random things. People hope for like their soccer team to win the league <laughs> and like it, they're devastated when yeah. they don't. Well, it's true. So it's so true. Like we we, we hope in, in the science, we hope in the mm. sports team, we hope in this relationship. We put our hope in in many ways. Yeah. But I think as as Christians, I think a lot of people mm. like hope to go to heaven one day. They, they, they'll fly off to heaven and be with Jesus in the clouds. Right. <laughs> wow. That's a, yeah, that kind of hope in heaven and I think there is such a, a misunderstanding of what heaven is, and I think it's so closely linked to what we're going to discuss today. Maybe yep. let's, yeah, let's talk about heaven for a while <laughs> and the misunderstandings, uh, yeah, and the really the false beliefs about that. And a good example, I think, or a typical way of viewing heaven it has been captured by a best-selling author called Maria Schreiber, and she wrote a book for little children called What's Heaven? And uh, let let me just quote from that because I think these are very typical of uh, a common belief about heaven. Okay. She says, heaven is somewhere you believe in, 
It's a beautiful place where you can sit on soft clouds and talk to other people who are there. At night you can sit next to the stars which are the brightest of anywhere in the universe. If you're good throughout your life, then you get to go to heaven. When your life is finished here on earth, God sends angels down uh, to take you up to heaven to be with him. And, you know, that's nice, poetic and great imagery for children to imagine. You know, she's a very good writer, but, uh, you know, we're really teaching our children at a very young age (laughs) what heaven isn't. And I think really uh, pointing children to to a hope that, you know, that that isn't biblical, that we're going to be snatched away from this earth (laughs) and, you know, from all the problems of, you know, the physical earth and universe and our bodies and this, you know, all the temptations we have with our bodies. And one day our souls are going to be separated from, liberated really from our bodies and end up floating on, you know, <laughs> on, on the clouds somewhere in a sort of non-physical yeah. existence. Yeah, definitely. And that's very, it's a very common belief, um, I think, even in churches. Yeah. I, I was brought up in, in a traditional church that, that taught that. Me too. Me too. I believed that until very few years ago, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So why is it so important that we understand that that isn't, isn't our hope, you know, in that kind of heaven? Uh, wow. Um, so the first phrase that really drew me was the first verse in that poem. She said, heaven is somewhere you believe in. Right. That, that I, I actually couldn't listen carefully to the rest <laughs> of it because I was so drawn to that. Wow. If, if we hope for heaven when we die, mm. we're hoping in somewhere. We're not hoping in someone. So like this whole faith that we talked about last time Mm -hmm. in Jesus becomes quite much about the place that Jesus will take us to and not about the person that he is. So it makes me feel and it makes me realize like what we're hoping for is not in someone. We're not putting our trust in somewhere or Mm -hmm. believe in someone. We're putting our trust in somewhere that that radically changes what the Christian faith is all about and what biblical hope actually says. Hope is about someone, not somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, uh, as you were speaking, I also realized that, yeah, you know, the picture is given of hope as something in the future. Yeah. Something that we don't experience now. It's something we can sort of look forward to in future. And that also is very much at odds with, you know, with the Christian view, with the biblical view of hope. That's so yeah. So, Look forward to getting into the topic. And um, yeah, I was just thinking of that passage in First Thessalonians 4 that you <laughs> love. Yeah, so I love, I love the book of First Thessalonians. Yeah. How about this as just to create some context? What's happening in the Thessalonian church? What's the context? I think that does shape what Paul writes to them, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> so the First Thessalonian church is actually a super young church. These guys have been with Paul and his companions for not longer than a few months. Sure. And then because of persecution, Paul and, and company have to leave. And there's this very young new church being threatened with so much persecution. Mm. And uh, Paul is super worried about them that he doesn't know if they're going to get through this persecution. People are losing their lives, losing their money, losing everything. Paul, let me stop right there. Yeah. That sounds like a crisis similar to what we're going through at the moment, right? <laughs> it sounds um, maybe a Not different type of crisis, but at least the response, the response of... The fears of losing everything, lives and uh, ability to look after ourselves financially, economy crashing and all yeah, of that. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yo, now that you say it, I'm realizing like, yeah, there's people that are right now 
going to struggle financially after mm-hmm. this lockdown finishes that right. they don't know if they're going to have a job when they mm-hmm. finish this time that's that's a real crisis for them and we need to think about that too and pray for them True. so yeah they're going through a crisis in a mm-hmm. similar different way yeah. they're different in, crosses but similar challenges there you go and threats and threats yeah. and paul writes to them trying to tell them to hold on to some hope hope He tells yeah. them to hold on to hope, does he? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He starts his letter by telling them that he remembers their um, their faith, their labor of faith, their no labor of love, their work of faith, and their steadiness in hope. That's First Thessalonians, mm-hmm. uh, chapter one, verse three. It's First Thessalonians four from verse thirteen. Okay. Or really gets the heart, I think, of what the Christian hope was was about and right. who it was in. He so. he tells them. Uh, Now we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so with him God will also bring those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we tell you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord mm-hmm. shall in not weigh. Um, and then he keeps on explaining, but right. he talks about the hope of resurrection. Yeah, exactly. And throughout the early church in the Christian you know, world and tradition and belief, uh, hope was not in the sort, they didn't place the hope in the sort of things we've mentioned yeah. earlier on yeah. that we typically place our hope in, yeah. you know, apart from Christ. But the hope of the early church was in the resurrection. Mm. And not just a spiritual kind of you know, <laughs> coming to life and floating on clouds, but a a real bodily resurrection. Yeah. Um, role modeled and prototyped by Jesus himself. There you go. Yeah. So maybe we should dig into that a bit and actually look at... Uh, yeah, because you know, that, that's a different idea that maybe some of us are not quite used to. The idea of us, our, our souls flying to yeah. heaven is quite common. Like that picture that the body stays in the coffin, but this like blue, grayish kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Like it's get outside yeah. of the body and starts flying mm-hmm. with wings. I think that's very common. But what you're saying is that our resurrection is going to mimic the resurrection of Jesus who right. had a bodily resurrection yeah. as well. That that's very, very different. Yeah. Part of the problem of really, you know, the, the view that we're talking about, people typically have about our souls departing from our bodies. Two main problems. Firstly, that assumes that there's something wrong with the body, hmm. yet God's creation was good. You know, yeah. And he created humankind at the pinnacle of his good creation. So sure. our bodies are not inherently evil, evil. or faulty. They're good. And secondly, I think the misunderstanding of the soul, the soul isn't the equivalent of like a blue smoke, <laughs> a mysterious thing. Yeah. Uh, biblically, certainly in the Hebraic worldview, the soul ref- really referred to the entire person. Mm. It wasn't separate from everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I love how the Hebraic and biblical worldview hold this idea that we're interconnected. Mm-hmm. We're not separated. It's not like your soul is there Correct. and your body is there and your feelings are there. It's like we're all interconnected. Your mind, your feelings, mm-hmm. your soul, your body, all of it is part of a whole being. 
that we are beings that God is trying to restore, Rick. not just save our souls and leave everything else to ashes. Yeah, these are rewiring podcasts, rewired podcasts, and yep. isn't that a way that we need to be rewired as well, many people? Absolutely. Just our view of ourselves, that we are entire beings and that we shouldn't be separating these different parts, mm -hmm. uh, especially not when we die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, why don't we look at 1 Corinthians 15? Okay. We're that, trying to understand yeah, what bodily resurrection. bodily resurrection. Yeah, okay. Exactly. First Corinthians 15. Mm -hmm. All right. Where are we going to start reading? Let, let me read the first few verses of First Corinthians 15. Mm -hmm. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, mm -hmm. if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to uh, Cephas, and, and, and he carries on. So I think the first important thing to notice is that a bodily resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is at the heart of the gospel. Okay. Jesus died for our sins, certainly, an integral part of the resurrection is that he was raised on the third day. He was wow. raised. That That's yeah. very interesting because I think for a long time, I've been hearing that passage being um, shared in the sense that the most important part of the gospel that you need to focus on is actually the fact that he died and mm -hmm. he was buried. And yes, that he was raised, yeah. but people we often focus, focus on, yeah. on the death because if he doesn't die, I don't get my sins forgiven and I don't get to fly off to heaven. Right. But you're telling me that no, the focus part is that yes, he dies, but he was resurrected mm -hmm. in, in body. Yeah. And we might have, we've discussed this previously, you know, we, we love to understand and accept Jesus as our savior. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. He is. And we can't really separate these things, but certainly Jesus dying on the cross for us mm -hmm. uh, is what saves us. Mm. However, it is the power of the resurrection mm. that really provides the power of ability to, to save. So we can't separate them. Jesus is Lord and Savior. And what established Jesus as Lord is the fact that he defeated death, that he mm. rose from the dead. Okay. okay. Now, he appeared to people and, you know, without going into all of the uh, scriptures, we know that he appeared to people. They recognize, they yeah. didn't initially recognize him, but after a little while they did, which would indicate that his resurrection body was kind of looked slightly different from the body that they were used to. Mm. Maybe that's without all the stresses and strains or life, <laughs> I don't know, but it was a perfectly new Jesus okay. in physical form. Uh, so he appeared to them, they could touch him. We know yeah. in Luke 24, uh, he ate fish, fish with, them, with them, yet somehow his body was yeah. meta, it was beyond physical because he could walk through walls, etc. He could just appear, yet he was a physical body, you know, that, resurrected body. That is so interesting. Yeah. If we were souls that fly off to the clouds, why are we eating? <laughs> it's our body that needs the food. So why? Right. That's very interesting that you pointed yeah. that, you know, how could we? Touch him. Now, people might say, yeah, that was Jesus. What's that got to do with us? And I think uh, if we carry on in 1 Corinthians 15, mm -hmm. you know, verse 20 reads, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That phrase again that Paul used in 1 Thessalonians, fallen asleep, that people who have died. Yeah, yeah, referring to that. But the first fruits and... Um, 
How do you understand that, Jared? What does the Bible teach us about first fruits? And what's <laughs> the significance of this for our resurrection? <laughs> that, that's a good question that I was actually going to ask you. <laughs> but um, first. The, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of first fruits is probably Jewish feasts mm -hmm. and the Jewish feast of first fruits of the harvest. That right. when their season of harvest, and probably this doesn't apply to most of us who are not farmers, but for those who have known a little bit about farming, they understand that there's a season where you plant and then there's a season where you harvest. And the, there was this feast that the Jews would celebrate in order to give thanks to God that when the harvest had arrived, they would give the first to God of that harvest as an indication of saying, yeah, thank you. Exactly. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. So it's not sort of uh, hoping and wishful thinking. Mm. It was they, they gave the first fruits, absolutely trusting and knowing that the full harvest would follow. Mm. You know, so you kind of imagine Jesus as the first fruits of a crop, but knowing with absolute certainty that a much bigger crop will come, wow. hundreds, thousands and millions more, whatever the crop is. And wow. the crop in this case is really us, you know, our God's people. And when Jesus returns, the rest of the crop will come. So Jesus is resurrected bodies. So Jesus is the first fruit offering of the resurrection. Of yeah, the resurrection. Exactly. And he was an offering, wasn't he? That's a whole new topic. <laughs> that, that's very, very interesting. Yeah. But then he goes on in this passage to uh, verse 21. Let's, let's just read this, which really explains what we've been describing. Mm -hmm. Verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Referring there to Jesus. Yep. yep. For as in Adam all die, there we go. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. That makes it clear, doesn't it? Yeah. We are the, the harvest. Yeah. We, we who are in Christ. Correct. So now we might, some people might have the question, well, this, is, this still seems to be a future hope. You know? Aren't yeah. we just now change, changing the hope? What's the difference? So we shouldn't hope that we're going to be little angel type <laughs> spiritual beings sitting on clouds. Yeah. We can look forward to the hope of a physical resurrection. resurrection. Yeah, but that still sounds very futuristic. Yeah. So what's mm. the point? How are you changing anything? Yeah. So how does that relate to us now? Mm -hmm. you know? Is there a hope that we enjoy now? It seems, we live? it seems like Paul, as he's speaking to them, he's telling them to their circumstances as if that's something that could help them right then and then. But how? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And maybe that gets to the heart of the understanding of the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Now, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of heaven a lot. Mm -hmm. And how many Christians have read and understood that, it refers to a future heaven. Yeah. You know, that yeah, the kingdom of heaven is coming. Yeah, it is coming. Now, when I die, I'll drift off to heaven one day. Yeah. <laughs> But that's not what Jesus meant by that. No, no. It? He spoke about it as if it was already there. And then yeah. he spoke about it as, as, he, as if he had inaugurated. He told, tells people in Mark chapter 1, repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. It's near. It's right now present before you. Right. And in that word kingdom, I think sometimes we misunderstand. We mm -hmm. feel like it's castles and yeah. big like um, fields and all this kinds of stuff. But we're talking about the dominion of a king. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So heaven then, certainly the Bible doesn't describe heaven as a place mm. somewhere separate from earth that we will enter sometime in the future. Mm -hmm. 
It doesn't describe it like that, does it? No. Um, and so the, the kingdom of heaven, I understand, and I think this is the biblical view, it refers to the rule and reign of, of God. God. Yeah. And it is a realm. It is not a place. Mm. And it is with us. And I like to sort of, I like to understand it as a parallel realm. You know, we have the world that we can see, mm. uh, the world that, um, yeah, that is broken. It has been, yeah. bro- God's good creation is yeah. no longer good the way he created it because of our bad choices we made, yeah. as we discussed last, last week. Mm-hmm. So the world is not as God intended it. Um, but in parallel with that is God's complete rule and reign. Wow. His perfect creation. It's at the same time happening parallelly. Yeah, it, it, what you're yeah. saying is almost like there's two dimensions Correct. of a reality. One that we can physically see, touch, and hear, and one that we hope in, that it's as real, but we might not see it with our physical eyes or touch it with our physical senses, yeah. but that is happening at the same time. Yeah, and Jesus referred to that, I believe, in his, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, when mm. the disciples said to Jesus, how, you know, how should we pray? Yeah. And then Jesus said, you know, uh, pray as follows, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Yeah. Your will be done on earth as, as it, it is in heaven. heaven. Yeah. Your kingdom come now on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. He's so, speaking about his dominion. His dominion, yes. His rule, his, his reign. Rule his reign. And as we pray that prayer, we are really praying and committing to a partnership with God. You know, Through us, your kingdom come. <laughs> and it comes now. Uh, God's kingdom comes when we submit fully to his rule and reign. Yeah. And so God's kingdom comes kingdom is breaking into the earth all the time yeah. as people live under his rule and reign. So we can live and we do live the kingdom of heaven now. Wow. But a time will come when the two realms, these parallel yeah. realities, these two different realities mm. become one. They fully merge. Okay. And then God's kingdom will, will fully come. Okay. And that that was the hope that the, the Christians had. You know, it was a future hope, but it, it was also a current hope and determined the way they live now. spoke about um, rule and reign of God being in partnership with our like um, actions and us taking a part in surrendering to him and it makes sense in context of the whole biblical narrative that in the beginning God created us to rule alongside him he created us as his partners and then we broke that partnership and we rebelled against his good creation and we started creating all these decisions and trying to define good and bad for ourselves. And then Jesus comes as a first fruit Mm -hmm. and teaches us what it looks like to be a partner with God and to rule and reign. And now he's inviting us to go back to that partnership. And that's, that's what I hear you saying that now through the church, through Jesus's disciples, we can help the rule and reign of God to continuously be established in our communities, in our lives, in our countries, in our cities. Yeah, and passage that comes to mind is in Philippians mm. 3. Yeah, that's a good, good piece of scripture. 
Now, this is another sort of metaphor that is used to describe how we should live now, mm -hmm. uh, linked to the age to come, but also living out that reality now. Yeah. Similar to the first fruits, you know, that's an agricultural sort of analogy or yeah. metaphor. We will be resurrected in the same way that Jesus was. Yeah. But in Philippians 3, uh, Paul uses the sort of analogy of uh, being uh, citizens of heaven. Yeah. And just some background here. The Roman emperor at the time established Philippi as a Roman colony. His veteran soldiers who'd been successful in two big battles in particular, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't really want them back in Rome because these guys were itching for a fight. Right? <laughs> what you don't want is idle soldiers, veteran yeah. soldiers hanging around. And Rome was also under a lot of pressure, just the infrastructure of Rome. Okay. So he established Philippi as a colony. Okay. Yet they were still Romans. Mm. And out of gratitude, to Caesar for what, you know, this great sort of yeah. blessing and grace he gave them, yeah. you know, establishing them in this beautiful city and yeah. creating the city around them. They, they took the emperor and mm. his values into this place. Okay. And they demonstrated the values of the king and the kingdom, the empire, okay. to the people around them. Wow. Okay. So they, although they were not in Rome... They lived, they as, lived a, as citizens of Rome in another place. I get you. So okay. the way that Romans would live in Rome, they wanted to live that way in Philippi. Yeah. With those values yeah. and those ways of thinking and doing things. Yeah. So let's just find the, the verse here in mm -hmm. Philippians You're trying 3. to, you want me to read uh, verse 20? There we go. That's it. Uh, yeah. uh, Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven and from there we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Okay, so the Christians living in Philippi certainly understood this language. Of citizens. Yes, yeah, citizens. <laughs> Our citizenship is in heaven. Of people that live in a city yeah. that is not this, the way that they should be living, but they're actually living as if they were in another city. Correct, yeah. Just like the Roman soldiers were living in Philippi as though they were living in Rome so much with the king, <laughs> with the emperor. So, right? much so Christians. they as Christians needed to live on this earth as citizens of heaven, of God's rule and reign. Okay. But that does make it sound like then God's rule and reign is somewhere apart from earth. Well, if we understand God's rule and reign as something we, we submit to mm. and we live according to those values okay. rather than the values of earth, mm. then it is, yeah, it is real in our lives. We live up the hope of the resurrection now. Okay. One day, God will bring heaven and earth together. We might need to look at Revelation 21. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. God's new heaven and new earth. earth. That is a, that's a future promise where, you know, heaven will, you know, the new heavens and the new earth will be, well, God will bring them together again, those sort of parallel realms, <laughs> right? Yeah. But we are citizens now of that new creation. Oh, okay, okay. I get what right. you're saying. So it's... We are citizens of the complete restored yeah, that's parallel new heaven and new earth being one. But right now those are not one. They're overlapping, yeah. but not fully not restored. Fully yeah. So we are living as if they're fully one, even mm -hmm. though we're still living in the parallel overlapping period. Right. Okay. I get what you're saying mm. now. Thanks for that summary. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Christians that Paul is writing to, their, their hope is in the resurrection in the age to come, mm -hmm. but they are living out that hope now. He's saying, demonstrate 
God's fully restored kingdom. There Demonstrate the new heaven and the new earth. There you go. Demonstrate and live as though Jesus has already come. Yep. Show the world what that new creation looks like. There you go. Totally restored new creation. Live like that now. Just like the Roman soldiers. There That's you what go. they did in Philippi. There you they go. lived as though they were in Rome. Mm. No, it, it makes sense. It actually makes me think of this other passage in First Thessalonians 5 uh, from yes. verse 4. Paul speaking kind of like in a different analogy about citizenship, but mm. he uses day and night yeah. to say the same thing. Exactly. He says, First uh, Thessalonians 5 verse 4, but you brothers and sisters are not in the dark so that the day may, might overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light. And mm -hmm. sons of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, <laughs> but let us remain on alert and sober minded for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober minded, putting on a breastplate of faithfulness and love and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Yeah. So, so that what you're saying is, so there's a dark, gloomy, um, reality that we're mm -hmm. in but we hope yeah. that the age to come is that light that day that new dawn that will come but paul is telling the thessalonians live as if as if the, the new day dawn. has come already exactly, exactly yeah. as if it's already day even yeah. though you walk out and it's really dark and everybody's <laughs> like what are you doing at night you're yeah. living because the day has already arrived for us Right. So for us as Christians, the age to come is not to come. It's already here. It's already here. And at yeah. the same time, we understand that yeah. it's still coming in its fullness. Yeah. It's already here, but not yet fully. That whole already, not yet okay. tension that yeah. we need to live with as Christians. Yeah, That's a great passage. Yeah, I think that certainly uh, describes the current world. And let's just maybe focus in and look at, Think about where we are at the moment. Yeah. The world looks very dark at the moment, doesn't yeah. it? The world yeah. is dark. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of hopelessness. Yeah. There's a lot of fear, anxiety. Yeah. As the coronavirus continues to 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 spread. Yeah. A lot of tension, a lot of people feeling uncertain and not knowing what's gonna happen, yeah. not knowing what they can and cannot do. I, I sure. see a, a lot of like defeated faces yeah. and people who just kind of like are sitting back and just letting it hit them and not not knowing how to respond to it. Yeah, and what a great description that I, I think the, the image of a dark night describes that quite well, isn't it? Yeah. If you yeah. do not have the hope, yeah. you know, that passage speaks about. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. He says, yeah, look around you, it is dark. You know, there is, there's fear, there's sadness, there's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, there is darkness. Yeah, but yeah. we have a completely but, different yeah, hope yeah, or different light. reality we yeah. can look at. Yeah, and we need to live according to as though the day has already arrived. Yeah, yeah. To, to be honest, I feel like this passage is so applicable to us right now. Mm -hmm. Verse 8, when he says, we are of the day, mm -hmm. so let us be sober-minded. Sure. I feel like that's an incredible direct application we can make when we understand that, yeah, people might be panicking and freaking out, mm -hmm. but we are of the day. We can be sober-minded. Yeah, I didn't read that like that. You're right. That's a great point. What does it look like to be sober-minded in the middle of a lockdown? <laughs> in the middle of a lot of panic and yeah. stats and fears and not uncertainties. Mm -hmm. We can be sober-minded because our reality is not defined by this lockdown or by mm -hmm. this virus, but by the ultimate reality of heaven and earth being reunited yeah. which by the way we're gonna have to talk about that yeah. what it really yes. means because you said revelation there and people start getting freaked in freaking out when we <laughs> speak about revelation but we'll, we'll get to that we'll discussion to, yeah, later maybe that's a separate one you're right 
Yeah, and I think just to close the loop to the passage you read in, in the beginning, you know, explaining mm. the background to Thessalonians, that yeah. first Thessalonians four, four passage you, you, know, you read, mm-hmm. um, that is very similar to what we are going through at the moment. You know, there was a crisis, mm-hmm. and in a crisis, as Christians, we, we have hope. It is mm-hmm. not purely a future hope, it's a current hope. Yeah. And we live as though that hope is fully here. Mm-hmm. As all things in the life of a disciple of Jesus, it's not easy. Mm. And we remind people always that that it is only possible in community that we continue to encourage one another. We remind one another of what hope we have. And even as we interact with people, you know, outside of our homes through social media and what have you. And, you know, friends and family members who do not have this hope. Yeah, uh, who are still in the the darkest night. Yeah, um, we need to be the hope. That's exactly. part of the calling to be the light. Yeah. Light is associated with hope. We've exactly, you know, exactly. Light, so light is another metaphor. You know that you are the light of the world. Yeah, yeah. And as we live out the hope and demonstrate the hope and reflect the hope. Yeah. Through our attitudes, through how we speak about what we're going through, through, yeah. through our words of encouragement. Yeah. Uh, helping one another to do that. Enabled by the by the spirit yeah. to do that to yeah. live so counterculturally, absolutely to, to allow our minds to view this differently, mm-hmm. you know, to allow our minds to be rewired yeah. again. Yeah. Now, how do we view this crisis exactly as people without hope or as people with, with hope? hope. Yeah. Future hope and a current hope. It makes sense that last time we spoke about the response needs to be faith, not fear, yeah. but also the response needs to be hope, not mere like hopelessness and just. Yeah defeated and not knowing what to do and panicking like it's hope and and you're right we have this incredible opportunity to live differently in the middle of such interesting circumstances Mm. that tells people like they have hope and i i'm freaking out what is it about what they think or believe or see or live that gives them such such hope and we can have that those conversations maybe over the phone or maybe on a, a video call or something like right. that but we we can live with hope and demonstrate that hope the way that you're yeah. saying it in our attitude in our actions in our words in the way we go about our lives right you know when you speak scriptures always come to mind yeah you your your mind's a lot younger than mine you've got a better memory than mine but where is that passage in Colossians that speaks about give reason for the hope you have? Oh, you mean in First Peter? Oh, sorry, that's in First Peter. No, First Peter chapter, chapter three, I think it's verse fifteen. There we go. Um, Trust you, my brother. Uh, yeah, uh, it's from verse um, thirteen. If you want to read it, uh, but verse fifteen is the one you're looking for. Read it, please. Um, I'll, I'll start reading from verse thirteen. He says, "Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good?" But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not be afraid or worry about their threats. Instead, sanctify Messiah as Lord in your heart. Always be ready to answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope the reason that is in you. In, in, isn't it a great time to apply that passage? Come That's on. right. Eh? That's right. Yeah, what is our reason? Why are we hopeful? Yeah. Yeah. To, that we understand that the bleak reality is not our reality Mm -hmm. and that we're confidently waiting for the time when Jesus returns and fully restores the earth and resurrects our bodies. But we live as if that had already happened. 
Exactly. And, and I think one of the things that I find so interesting about biblical hope that separates it from optimism or wishful thinking is that hope has nothing to do with maybe it will happen. Mm-hmm. Hope in, in the Hebraic um, worldview and in the understanding of scriptures is something that you're certain is going to happen. You don't hope for things that you maybe or may mm-hmm. not will happen. The word um, that is mostly used, but there's several words in Hebrew that are used is the word yakal. And mm-hmm. the word yakal sometimes is translated as wait or trust wow. or expect. It's so, interesting. Like uh, there's one of my favorite passages in Isaiah 40. You know, there's a lot of songs about that, that people say, you know, even youth shall grow faint and weary, but those who trust in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, those who wait on yeah. the Lord, many translations translated different, but in Hebrew is the same word. To hope is to trust. To hope is to wait. To wow. hope is to expect confidently that yeah. what God said he will do. And yes. that's why you can live as if it was already yeah. happening right now. That, that's really interesting. So this uh, uh, this concept and understanding of hope didn't change between the Old and New Testament, and we wouldn't expect it to. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. So that's really a great point. Yeah. A passage has come to mind, which I do remember, mm. <laughs> and I'd um, I'd like to actually maybe end this podcast with this passage of scripture. Okay. You started with one. Let me end with this one. Romans fifteen. Can I read to you a quote before we read that verse? A quote that I think will be very um, enlightening. Please do. I want to finish this podcast with scripture, so I would like to um, <clears throat> kind of like give room for that. But I think this man named Cornel West, very wise, very smart man, he wrote this about hope in a poem that you can um, look for called Prisoner of Hope. And he says, hope is not a mood. It's a virtue. Sure. We have a right to be in as a dark mood as we want because things are indeed bleak. But hope is a virtue, which is to say it's an excellence that we are to aspire to. No matter how dark your mood is, you still have a responsibility to aspire to the virtues. Hope is the refusal to succumb to despair and nihilism. Hope is that attitude of the heart that says even though things are completely bleak Mm. i refuse to live as if that was the only reality i can live for Mm. hope is the understanding that there's a different reality that god and king jesus offers and we hold on to that reality in spite of how bleak and difficult the circumstances are around us amen let me end then romans 15 verse 13 and i encourage us to really Meditate on these words during this time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rewired Podcast and our discussion on hope. Next week, we speak about the third and final element in our series, love. So make sure to catch that episode next Friday. Music for this episode was by Jonathan Ogden and Tokyo Music Walker. As Rewired, we believe that God can change your life by changing the way you think. If this conversation interested you, you can check out our other episodes just like this one. Or also find us on our Instagram at rewired underscore PE, as well as on YouTube. We hope you stay safe and we'll catch you in the next one.